Hello and welcome back to the Clips Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, joined by Blake Harris. And the Clippers are up 3-2 in the Western Conference semifinals, heading into Game 6 on Friday night. Blake, I guess my first question is just uh, something you popped up on Twitter. Uh, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm I'm feeling feeling good, feeling nervous, anxious, worried, uh, every word imaginable because uh, again, this is what the you know third time they've been one win away. Um, you know, it's I I don't want to think back to Houston from years ago when they were up three two, and then I think of Game Six and what happened and Josh Smith and. I, again, I'm keep, keeping the hope alive, but in any Clippers fan's mind, that always has to be in the back of your head. So uh, I'm hoping for a better outcome. But uh, I, after going down 2-0, if you would have said they'll be up 3-0 or up 3-2, uh, say, okay, I'll take it. So uh, grateful for the opportunity. But again, I'm pretty, pretty worried about what's to come. What's interesting is you just said, you know, if you had been told after the Clippers were down 0-2 that they would be up 3-2, you would have taken it. But would you have taken it under these circumstances? I was going to say, there's a small small (laughs) price to pay. Yeah, I I would not have taken it under these circumstances. But then again, if they come back, win advance in the next round, who knows? At the the end of the day, if I have to trade a Kawhi injury for a potential title, Unfortunately, sorry, Kawhi, I will take the title and hope you are healthy next season, but still a lot of time to determine everything and uh, a lot to get to, I'm sure. But yeah, at this point, I'm just enjoying that I get my one day to celebrate last night's win, celebrate the series lead because, uh, you know, it's two days in between games. You don't have a lot of time to uh, celebrate. Yeah, so let's backtrack just a little bit. I mean, yesterday, Wednesday, the day of game five was a real emotional roller coaster. You know, Kawhi gets hurt at the end of game four. He sits out for the final four minutes. Um, He's asked about it repeatedly after the game, says he's fine. It's no big deal. The Clippers were up pretty big at the end of the game, so it wasn't altogether surprising that he would be sitting out because the game was essentially in hand. He is not listed on the injury report on Tuesday. Not like a probable or, you know, questionable or anything. Keep in mind that just like – LeBron James and Anthony Davis were listed on the Lakers injury report for every game during the 2020 playoffs. All right. So it's not like listing a guy on the injury report is a death knell by any means, but he wasn't on it like at all. And then we get the news that he has suffered a knee injury and will not be playing in game five and has told his teammates to not expect him for the rest of the series. And there are rumors that it's going to be a ACL injury and, you know, things are flying around. Just take me back to like yesterday morning, what was going through your head when you saw these Kawhi Leonard reports? Well, the, the worst part was when I was watching that, what game four, the second mm-hmm. I saw that it was a non-contact. I know a lot of people thought that like Joe Ingles was like, a, it was a dirty player. Like it wasn't. And it's just the fact that, yeah, it was non-contact and watching him grimace. And it was just like, he just doesn't look right. Then he like missed two free throws. And he just, I know they sat in the last four minutes, but he just like, didn't look okay. And, I, I figured post game he'd say like I'm fine. Like I wasn't expecting him to kind of say, "Yeah, my knee's actually hurting really bad." Like I figured to be I'm fine. And through the back of my mind, I was just thinking, "There's, there's going to be something." Like I, I feel like something's coming. But then like once I saw the injury report, I, I was expecting like he's questionable, he's probable. Because like you said, even with LeBron and AD, they were always on that injury report. So I thought it was odd. And then of course it comes out has a knee and it was just like weird a weird progression because it went from knee sprain he's for sure out tonight likely out the entire series so 
right there, you're like, oh, wait, he's out the entire series, but or just first off, like he's out tonight. But then there was like, is there some optimism around the series? And then it was like, no, he has an ACL. I don't, th- I don't think they ever diagnosed if it's an ACL sprain. They just said an ACL injury. So there's a chance it could be a sprain, which according to uh, my Google doctor search that I found said it can be like four weeks. It can be up to like eight weeks. So that doesn't look optimistic. If it's a tear, obviously that goes into at least half a next season, which at this point, like it's, you don't want to root for a sprain, but if anything, like you just nothing in regards to next season. So what a wave of emotions it was, you know, yesterday, just going through, just like, did we not, not only lose him for this series, potentially the rest of the playoffs. And now you're thinking, are they not going to be with him out him until like next March, April? Cause an ACL is usually like nine months, something like that. So again, hopefully it's just a sprain, but um, yeah, not, not an ideal circumstance uh, to say the least when, your best player, you know, one of the best players in this, what, the day after he was voted first team all NBA, awful timing and just, uh, just awful. So like I said, I'm just praying, praying for a sprain and it's not a tear because that'd be awful. Right. And then we, you know, we go from that and into the game where I think even like the most optimistic of us were thinking that like the Clippers could put up a fight because that's what they do. They've been without a lot of their starters, a lot of their stars for much of this season they always seem to come up when the chips are down. Uh, that seems that, like when they're at their best too, when exactly. like odds are stacked against them for whatever reason. It's like that, like last night remind me of the team from two years ago when they were like the eighth seed and they just had a bunch of, you know, fighters and dogs. Like, mm-hmm. but I just had like, even yesterday I told my girlfriend, like leading up to her, I'm like, I have this weird feeling. Like I was texting my buddy who lives like in Washington, DC. And I was going to be like, Hey, can you like put some money on this game for me? Cause I was like, I just have a weird feeling that, Paul George is going to turn into Indiana Paul George and the Clippers are going to pull something out. And he was like, are you kidding me? Like, no, they're going to get going to Utah and get blown out. And I was like, dude, I don't know what it is. Just this weird feeling that I don't deserve to have that the Clippers are going to do something special tonight. And they did. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because like it, it'd be so hard to have optimism in that situation with your best right. player down and just the, the gut punch of it all. Right. You know, to yeah. go from, Oh, I think the Clippers have figured out Utah. Like I wrote that in the recap. Um, I, I think we talked about it offline, but like it seemed like they had gotten control of the series. And yeah, all they had done right. is just held serve at home. I get that, but the margins of victory in Los Angeles were so much larger than the margins of defeat in Utah. Mm-hmm. And like I picked Clippers in six at the start of this series. I I thought Utah was a good matchup for them. Honestly, I didn't think that it would be surprising for them to win the series. I know we talked about this before that the only, the only reason that I was hesitant at all about picking the Clippers was that them winning would mean that they advanced to the Western conference finals, which again, doesn't happen for the Clippers. So (laughs) like, it was just so strange because like on paper, you know, no Kawhi, I don't think it's unrealistic for the Clippers to beat Utah without Kawhi, especially with Donovan Mitchell hobbled and Mike Conley unavailable. Just the, emotional impact of all of it, I thought was going to be overwhelming for the Clippers, especially because, you know, I mentioned this on um, green room the other day on the app that Paul George is pretty bad in Utah. The first two games, like the, the fans clearly have it out for him. Uh, I think it got into his head a little bit in the first two games. And I was worried that that was going to happen again, especially with this added burden that was going to be upon him without Kawhi. And he just completely proved me wrong. Like that was one of the finer performances of Paul George's career. I know he's been better in some Indiana games, just like from a pure raw numbers perspective, 
maybe even not actually, because he put up 16 rebounds yesterday and that sort of just flew by my attention in the box score because I, I was so impressed with the points either. and the assists, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the Clippers have been in this pattern for most of the postseason where they fall behind early, they take the first punch and then they respond. Game four, I think, was the first time in the Clippers postseason that they've held a lead, like the first lead in the game. It was, yeah. Which is just an absurd fact. Like Dallas had the lead in every single game to start the game. So, you know, they, they punch first, they're up 10, three really early. Paul George looks great. The ball's moving around. And like, I, I kept watching the game thinking like nothing about the jazz is making me think that they are better than the Clippers, even in this iteration of the Clippers. And the fact that the Clippers have been through this season where they've had to dig deep, where they've had these ridiculous late scratches, right? Like Paul George gets dizzy right before the start of the game and was it in Washington or in Boston and Reggie Jackson is told during the anthem that he has to start and that happens and we've got that game against Memphis where I think six rotation players are missing and like Yogi Ferrell and DeMarcus Cousins are bringing it home and you know they're they've just built this sort of resolve over the course of the season and there was this really interesting question I thought that was asked to Ty Lue in the presser yesterday where um, you know Andrew Greif of the LA Times actually asked this in 2020, you know, the Clippers always said that their lack of continuity, their inability to play together, like the fact that their best lineups hadn't shared the court for very long, really prevented them from finding their stride at the end of the season, right? Like they were just uncomfortable with one another. And that for some reason, the same situation in 2021, like they haven't had their best lineups together. Guys have been in and out. That has been a source of strength for them. You know, like they've found this extra energy in the fact that they've had to battle through all this adversity and that's just a really incredible mindset. I don't know why it's the case. I really don't. Maybe it's just uh, a Ty Lue versus Doc thing. Maybe it's the fact that even though they didn't have time this year, like Kawhi and PG still were together last year too. Like there's just something to build on. But the mental resolve of this team, my goodness. Like you mentioned the 2019 team. This is just doubly impressive to me because of the stakes of the situation. Yeah. Going, going back on one thing you said about how – you know, you talked about those two games in Los Angeles, like the Clippers just straight up dominated. Like aside, I think from what maybe game four, when Utah went up like eight, nothing to start the game or something like that. Aside I think that was from game that, three yeah. or game three. Yeah. Like both those games, the Clippers dominated for a majority. I think I saw some, something on Twitter. I really need to bookmark these things. when I see them on Twitter. <laughs> I forget, but it was like the, the Clippers were like up by double digits for like more than half of like those two games. And even the games in Utah, like, like I said in the previews I did, the Clippers easily could have not only like split that those first two, the Clippers could have won those first two in Utah where they've just been so good. And the fact that Utah, like even yesterday entering halftime, I think Utah was like plus 27 from three point range. And they, they were had only hit by, 17 three pointers. Yeah, in the first and half. They only led the Clippers by five where it's like, if Utah was shooting three, 35% from three this series. I think they're officially like at 41. This game, the series would be over likely if Utah was just shooting 35. Like their insane three three point shooting ability, which again, they like set the all time record in the NBA this season, like at 17 per game. Like if that was not the case, the Clippers would be winning. And like the Clippers have just played overall like the better team, where as they say on Inside the NBA, which Charles Barkley always says, you live and you die by the three. And we saw it yesterday in the second half, especially. I think Utah only made three threes in the second half. They died by the three. Like, they just had no inside presence. I think in the first half, like, through the first 18 minutes, they had, I think, five two-point attempts. So when the threes are falling, that's great. But 
when they're not, you get into some serious trouble. And yeah, going back, like what I said about that 2019 team, which is like still one of my all-time favorites, this team with Reggie Jackson, which I have had to eat my words every outing he has because last year's postseason, I just writ- I wrote him off. A lot of us have had to eat our and words regarding Reggie Jackson. I mean, I, I think he officially set like the Clippers postseason threes record. I don't know if he officially got it. I think he was like six away a, a game or two ago. He's been unreal. Just Luke Kennard, which we all knew that he had this three-point shooting ability. He's just been so good, especially considering he was sitting on the bench the first few games, like during the Utah series. Terrence Mann is uh, – you if you were to tell, like, a casual NBA fan, like, what, where do you think he was selected in the NBA draft? Everyone would probably say probably top 15, top 20. And it's like, no, he was like – what like mid i forget mid what exact second round he, yeah i know he was near the back of the second round he's been fantastic and but nicholas batum i mean i i feel like he's probably kind of maybe the most underrated player so far in this postseason run because again you just look at his numbers and you're like wow nine points three assists four rebounds but defensively he's been fantastic he seems to make timely shots uh, it's just everyone has i mean even again like demarcus cousins wasn't really like you know, super ideal, but his minutes weren't like totally awful when he was going against Gobert for the most part. So everyone that has stepped up with the exception of Rajon Rondo, who uh, after watching Lou Will, you know, you win some, you lose some, right? Yeah. I think it makes the worst thing what Lou Will's been doing for Atlanta, but I'm also happy that he's doing that, but everyone has stepped up so well. And yeah, especially Paul George, because when I knew that he was likely facing a lot of backlash going into that game, watching what he did, uh, I'm so happy for the guy. And again, it's, we have, haven't won the series yet. Yeah, still a lot to go, but the fact that the Clippers have put up this kind of battle and even just to go into Utah, win that game when they very well could have just been like, you know, like we took a gut punch with Kawhi being out. We're on the road. We're not expecting much. We still have a game at, at home overall. Just, yeah, this team's been very impressive. And just what Ty Lue has done. We talked about it in that Dallas series, the adjustments that he was able to make uh, some questions. It seems like it's always like the, those first two games of the series. Very much a feeling out period. <laughs> you're just like, what is he doing? What's happening? And then he's like, no, I got this. And again, it's like, after going down 2 0, I'm not concerned. You're like, Ty, why are you not concerned? And he's like, no, like, here's why. Then he just shows everyone. So, um, and also very fitting that uh, Doc Rivers blew a 26 point lead yesterday on the same day. So, uh, it's it, there's a lot going on in uh, in Clippers land with everything. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just game five. The Sixers also blew a big lead in game four. And there are a lot of people who said, oh, Doc Rivers was the problem when the Clippers were losing in the first round. And I, well, you know, maybe he wasn't the problem because there obviously have been a lot of roster upgrades since then. You know, like Luke was not here last year. Batum was yeah. not here last year. Like where would the Clippers be without Batum for crying out loud? Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of places to, you know, give the credit to. I think yeah. Paul is just playing a lot better than he was last year too. And when your stars are good, makes the job a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah. Also yeah. a very just underrated aspect that I just want to throw out there. And I'm very sad. He is in all likelihood going to be gone, but Chauncey Billups, like just the job he's done as well. I, he like, I mean, he'll likely get a head coaching gig at, you know, I mean, there's like eight openings now, but you know, the jobs he's done and just hearing like his interviews and just what the players say about him. I feel like he's just, he's played a major role. Um, not, I'm not gonna say like the same, like Sam Cassell role because, you know, two different kinds of players, but mm-hmm. having like just that, that one former player that I feel like a lot of players just like can connect to. And 
I, I just think Chauncey Billups has been a phenomenal, phenomenal assistant for the Clippers, especially during this postseason run. Yeah, and if you listen back to our podcasts from the end of last season, you were advocating for Chauncey Billups to be on this staff yes. with Sam Cassell. Like that was something you were plugging right away. Yeah. Uh, and Paul George has definitely credited Chauncey for the growth that he's made in terms of his ball handling and playmaking. And, you know, Paul's still going to make his mistakes. Like he has that one ridiculous turnover every game that leads yeah. seemingly to a fast break layup immediately in the other direction. But a lot more good than bad coming from Paul George's direction. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, just a, just a couple other things I wanted to get into. Uh, you know, so the Clippers are obviously up 3-2. They're coming home for game six where they've won the last two in Staples Center. It's going to be a full house in Staples Center. California has reopened, so we're getting the full 19,000 in Staples yeah. Center for this game. First time all season that the Clippers have had this opportunity. I mean, we're talking like game four, there was 7,500. So it is going to be a giant jump in terms of the yeah. fans. I mean, to me, that's not really pressure. That's just a celebration. That's the way I see it. But mm-hmm. like you said, you know, the, the Clippers have been in this situation before at home with an opportunity to close out the series. Uh, you know, what was interesting. I, I hadn't learned until yesterday. It was the Clippers had never before won a game five, game five. in the yeah. conference semifinals. They had lost the previous seven. Mm-hmm. So like you think about those couple of three, one leads. And then even when they were tied two two, they would lose game five, which is what happened to Phoenix, you know, back in the day, that Daniel Ewing series. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I'm calling it the Daniel Ewing series. It's very clearly <laughs> like the Elton brand, Sam Cassell team, but it just seems like they're clearing a lot of these hurdles already. Right. Like right. they, you know, accomplished something historic in the first round by winning when they were down Oh two after losing the first two games at home. Uh, you know, they, they would be the first team in NBA history to win two series after being down 0-2, like this year's Denver Nuggets, basically, who won two series after being down 3-1. And it's crazy to think, like 24 hours ago, it was very much like, woe is me, this is happening to the Clippers again. And now I'm like looking into my travel plans for Phoenix. Like this is how <laughs> confident I am in this team. It's, it's so right. weird to think what a difference 24 hours makes, but I mean, do you want to talk me down, Blake? Is there a reason why I shouldn't be looking ahead? No, I mean, well, I mean, the only reason you shouldn't be looking ahead is just the track record and the history. But like you said, well, first off, like, yeah, I heard that st- or saw it on Twitter, the fact they never won a game five. And I was like, how is that possible? And it was like, even going back to like the Buffalo Braves days, like they had one where they didn't win a game five. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of, yeah, of all the game fives they lost, you know, recent years. And I'm thinking like, okay, that Thunder one when they were up by seven with 40 seconds left and they somehow blew that. And then the Rockets won, but that one wasn't as bad because that one was in Houston. The Rockets when they basically just went into Houston, were like, don't worry, we'll win the game in LA. Yeah, we'll win the <laughs> yeah. next one. So that one was no, no big deal for the most part. And then... Yeah, I'm trying to think. Game five in the uh, bubble last year where Paul Millsap and Marcus Morris got into it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that was supposed to, Yeah. So you're right. Because just by winning, you know, the first game five they've ever won, that's something going in the right direction. Like you said, the fact that they've, they're on the verge of doing something that no team's ever done with the back-to-back 0-2 series where that's not something the, the Clippers are the ones that give up the 2-0 lead. The Clippers go up 2-0 and then they mm-hmm. blow that. So something different. And again, it's just one of those things where, even going back to that Dallas series, all the home games, the Clippers lost those first yeah, three that they lost. Those were all winnable games. There was never a game where they were just like, they were outplayed the entire way, except maybe game one, I think where they trailed until like the last like three or four minutes, but they were still in it the entire way. Or as like, you know, Utah, they just ran them out of the water. So, you know, it gives me optimism and hope that, the Clippers, they can just continue this at home. They're going to be pumped. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Mike Conley because if he's back, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how Utah adjusts. But 
again, with Utah, if the threes aren't fallen, they can't beat the Clippers. Like they live and they die all season. They've lived by it and they're going to have to learn how to, how to adjust. And I think Paul George is going to have another one of those games. I think his confidence level now is probably higher than ever. And again, it's just something just seems different where this is, this is a game where it's too perfect. Like for the Clippers, the first game back at full capacity, the first chance you have to go to the conference, like, it all checks the boxes to be like, again, we're talking as if they're about to win the finals. So no, right. Like that's what this is for the Clippers. But, but it's a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's a huge deal. And it, it just seems like they, they should, you know, be advancing. Vegas doesn't think so. Vegas, I think last I looked has Utah's like a three point favorite, which I, my uncle loves Utah minus the three. And I'm like, okay, I will bet you on that if you want to go that route. But <laughs> it, it seems like, again, tomorrow should be the Clippers night. But even if for whatever reason, it's not like they lose, Seeing what they did last night in Utah, I would still have confidence in them to win another game in Utah. I'd much rather win at home, but it's the, that's the good thing too. It's like, ideally they can win, but it's like not the absolute end of the world. So I guess that's the one silver lining, but I, I have a lot of optimism. I have that strange, weird feeling of hope. And I have a weird, strange, strange feeling of hope, especially with the Chris Paul news, that if they can just end this as soon as possible and just get to that Sun series, some some weird things can <laughs> Who knows? Some weird things can happen. And uh, I don't know. I just have that feeling. Yeah. I, I just don't know where Utah is going to get their points from, you know, uh, it's they're not going to get 30 from Bogdanovich. Again, everybody, everybody tells me they're like, Oh, NBA games are so boring. Like whoever hits the most threes wins. Like that has literally not happened at all in this series. Utah keeps right. hitting more threes and they keep losing because their offense is just so singularly focused on the three point line. Like mm-hmm. they barely use Gobert. I mean, his, which lone- I don't understand. I mean, I'm sure part of it is that he's just not skilled enough to be a scorer, but I do think that like getting him in the pick and roll would be more beneficial more often. But yeah. like their guards, they're some of the worst passes I've ever seen. Like they throw yeah. him passes if he's like Montrez Harrell's height. I don't understand why they don't just lob it up to him. Like at every opportunity, I, right. I think it'd be more effective, but I mean, they're obviously much smarter basketball minds than I am. Right. But yeah. And then Donovan, you know, is clearly hampered. Like he went six of 19 in game four. The Clippers are selling out on him because nobody else on that team, they don't, they're just daring them to make plays, right? Like Royce O'Neal, you want to dribble into the lane and do something, go ahead. George Niang, like by all means, the lane is open to you. Do what you want to do. We are going to stop Donovan. And I think they've done a pretty good job on Mitchell. You know, I, obviously the, the angle is, is doing a lot of the work. Uh, Mitchell had a profanity laden press conference, you know, where he, was just very disappointed about the state of his health right now. And I, I do feel for him, but everybody's going through it, right? Like yeah, the Clippers don't have Kawhi Leonard. They don't have Serge Ibaka. It's just, just what you have to go through. And, you know, even if Mike Conley does play, he presumably would be on a minute's limit. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine that he would have the same burst that you would need to like get past the Clippers defense. Like I'm thinking about what James Harden looked like in game five for the yeah. Brooklyn Nets. And yeah, he played 40 some minutes and he was able to handle the ball. And that apparently worked because Milwaukee chose not to attack him on his defensive possession, but you can bet your ass that the Clippers are going to attack Mike Conley. If he's, you know, with a ginger hamstring mm-hmm. and I don't know how much that would help Utah to have him because like, you need to be at your best to play against this Clippers. Team. Yeah. They're not like yeah. the most disciplined defense. They make mistakes. I, I I was a little bit worried about the defense. I thought, you know, Kawhi has been this eraser for a lot of their defensive mistakes during the postseason. Turns out Nick Batum does a pretty good job of that on his own. Right. Um, 
Zach Lowe had this really great line in his podcast the other day that said, uh, Batum is a study in momentum. He's leaning the right way all the time. And it's like, yeah, he's just always right. Like, you know, he's, yeah. he's in the right spot. He's there for the health defense. I mean, yeah, he misses some threes. Like who gives, like he's incredibly important for what the Clippers are doing. Mm-hmm. And like, this is why I like this matchup for the Clippers coming into the playoffs, you know, uh, the things that Utah takes away, the Clippers don't care about, right? Like they don't want to get to the rim as much as other teams do. If Rudy's going to protect that shop, like Paul George can settle up in the mid range. That's fine. They can do some driving and kicking and just create threes. Marcus Morris, let that guy mismatch against some smaller, you know, wing defenders. He was having a field day in the third quarter. He put up 12 points in the third quarter. I'm sure you heard all our jokes Mm -hmm. about how he could only shoot when Mark Heath was in the building. And he was like, no, I can shoot anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he's very comfortable being a secondary scorer and having the ball in his hands a little bit more than, you know, when Kawhi was unavailable, when Kawhi was on the court, I should say. And then I just love the idea of Paul George setting the table early. And then, you know, crunch time has been a bit of a challenge for him this season. And historically, I think throughout his career, but Reggie Jackson, oh my God, the guy loves crunch time. Like he was born for that moment. Uh, If I had a nickel for every Mr. June joke, I have heard. I would be making Reggie Jackson's salary this year. Like that is right. how much I've heard that comparison. It's Yeah. <laughs> the way this team is constructed, like you and I talked about this at the start of the season that I, I wasn't sure how much sense it made for the regular season, which I was wrong. But again, they finished with a four seed. So like maybe not mm-hmm. that wrong. And I just thought it made a lot of sense for the playoffs that they had all the right bu- buttons to push for the playoffs. And Tyloo's doing it. He's pushing all the buttons. I mean, I, I keep like trying to talk myself into like a question I have about this team, but I don't have them. I'm supremely confident. And why am I so confident? Like, <laughs> it's funny. Cause I, I was just thinking of like, you, you look at the way, you know, coming into the season, it wasn't like in years past, I forget what year it was. I remember like their bench, they were like, um, they had like, so they had some crazy like nickname. It was like a, a quest a mob quest something with bench or something <laughs> where they had so many like great d benches like everyone's like this is going to be the year where the clippers bench comes up clutch and it seems like it never really did and just coming into this year it was like yeah there was so many question marks with everything but it's like this has been like the most well-rounded clippers team that we've had during this decade-long run and it just seems like everyone that has stepped out onto the floor Again, with the little exception of Rondo, he's just a little questionable. He was times, he was very good for the first four games against yeah. Dallas, and they needed those two wins in Dallas. So yeah, and hey. now it's been whatever. But like yeah. everyone, like Pat Bev, has had his moments where he's been. I mean, I, I this the stats I'm seeing when he's like guarding Mitchell one on one, how Mitchell's just like not. We wrote about that on ClipsNation.com. Check it out. It's unbelievable, just how I know if, if you're not a Clippers fan, you see him, you're thinking like all he does is bark and bite, which he very well does. But it's like the the little spurts he's in, the minutes he plays, like he locks guys up. He might commit stupid fouls, like he did last night, literally 93 and a half feet away from the basket. But he's been great. It's just, again, everyone's done their job. I think at this point, everyone knows what the role is and everyone is comfortable with that role. And it's just, everything is working so well. Everything is fitting so well with this Clippers team. And it's it's beautiful to watch because, again, it's like there isn't anyone, even Reggie, where, again, half the shots that he takes, I just go, oh, God. And it's just a perfect swish. But even then, like, this is a guy that's scoring 20 with ease. He very well could be like, no, like, I want to be the guy that just, like, leads the way. I want to take over. And he's just like, no, like, I'm going to let Paul George do his thing. I'll let Marcus get his shots. I'll take mine when need to be. 
Marcus the same way. I mean, he's he has like back to back games of 20 plus points. He very well can, you know, try to take the next leg up, but he, you know, sits back, wants to be that number two option or like number three, depending on what's going on. And it's just, it's beautiful the way that they've been playing. And uh, again, we're talking as if they've advanced and won, but yet you have to appreciate, you know, at this point, winning three games against Utah, the best team in the, in the NBA, that's impressive in itself, you know, regardless of what happens, the fact that you're able to take three games, like that already deserves, you know, like a, a tip of the cap. I agree. So we're going to end on this. Um, it sounds like both of us are pretty confident that the Clippers will win this series, if not in six, then in seven. Um, and even if they don't, it's not like it's going to be some massive choke job. It's just because you know, Kawhi's out and that makes things more challenging. Uh, right. But I just want to talk about last night a little bit more. Where does this rank for you, like in terms of your favorite Clippers wins? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Obviously, like the ones that immediately stand out, the Chris Paul game winner, um, game seven against the Spurs, mm-hmm. that like gri- the, the Grizzly, like the original Grizzlies comeback, just because that was like the first like Clippers That's playoff That's my game favorite game, the Nick that, Young game. Yeah. Because, yeah, I because I was like I remember the Clippers Sun series, but that was like I was think ten. So it's fifteen you know, years ago, it's a long time. Yeah, so that I don't remember. Obviously, what the game two against the Warriors when they came back from I think 31, 31 say, yes, whatever it was. So that one, and I'm trying to think. I mean, for the most part, yeah, that it's definitely up there. I think probably like two or three. I just think from like an ex. Some, something about that the Grizzlies one and then that Chris Paul one, they were just like so good. And like those are just the ones that will always stand out. Like last night was fantastic, but you know, it's I, those ones a little more. So I'll probably put this one like at three. I'll put this one ahead of the Warriors one just because that Warriors one was great, but I literally had zero expectations in that series. And I was like, wow, we won a game. I'll, I'll take it. And then they decided to make it a somewhat series and push it to six or push it to yeah. six. But yeah, I'll put this one to number three for probably like overall best uh, best games I can remember watching. Yeah, I think you have the right idea putting it ahead of the Warriors games just because of the moment, right? Like yeah. the, the Clippers were just this underdog in that series and they had no business taking one, let alone two games. Um, the, the sheer excitement of that game too, like I am quite partial to game five of that Warriors series because they just straight up dominated Golden State from the start of the game, which – how is that possible on a team with Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Seth Curry, and Draymond Green? Um, but just like the the adrenaline rush of seeing Landry Shamit make that shot against the Warriors. And like, I mean, I, I was like you, I had no expectations. I was at a Dodger game that night. And, uh, you know, that was it was a great Dodger game too. Jock hit a walk-off. Nice. Um, and I'm watching the end of the game, like on my phone as I'm walking to the car. And like, just that that moment I think is so hard to replicate. Mm-hmm. Like this, this game five in Utah didn't have that excitement at the end because the Clippers were just much better than them and didn't let it get to that yeah. point, which is obviously much more important, but I am a little partial to the, Hey, like game winning three aspect of it all. Uh, to me, the Grizzlies one is still number one for me uh, because it was like sort of the start of something, right? Like the Clippers yeah. hadn't won a playoff series since 2006. It was six years later felt like, you know, this is, oh, Blake and Chris are going to be doing this all the time. Uh, I think this is probably top three for me as well, but I, I kind of put the Warriors game ahead of the Chris Paul one. I don't know why. I think I, I have like less fond memories of the Chris Paul one just because of how that season ended. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah. Um, 
yeah, I think this is top three. And I don't know enough about Paul George's Indiana career, honestly, to put it on like the PG pantheon, but mm-hmm. it's his best Clipper moment, Barton. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of the Warriors one. I think the reason why that one stands out too, obviously the Shaman shot, but I just remember like all the footage of them like coming into the locker room where like each one of them, they were all like super pumped. Was that the uh, Lou Will Nacho game? Where he was like eating the nachos following the game, or was that a different it one? It could be the Lou Will Nachos game. Yeah, that Lou one Will, just, be, just the because, coolest again, dude. I that was good, but I mean, I just remember like the Pat Bev, like the video of Pat Bev, like walking like in the tunnel, and, and so that like I think just like all that post game stuff, like you said, is kind of what like stands out. It's so memorable. Like you just felt so hyped from that, and you just felt like they all loved each other so much. But yeah, the the, the that's the worst part about the Chris Paul one too is the fact that it like it just diminishes everything that would happen following. It's like, you know, the, when the Clippers won in seven against the Warriors years back, mm-hmm. where like that was an insane series. It was before the Warriors dynasty took off, but like that insane game seven win where like Blake Griffin, like had that layup into like a backflip midair. And it was like the coolest moment ever. That was then I believe followed by the OKC series. In right. Which, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> yeah. And oh, that, that, that series, uh, so yeah, hopefully this is why I give Clippers yeah. fans a lot of credit for how they've come around on Reggie Jackson because he he really was just a, a prime villain in 2014 and it's hard to mm-hmm. accept that on your own team. And then just do you just remember like just the Twitter world and everyone when it was like Clippers bringing back Reggie Jackson and everyone was like, "What the hell do you mean they're bringing Reggie? Ja- like why?" And everyone was just like against it. And then again, I mean, he has been just like again. I, every game, I'm just saying, I, I was wrong. I mean, every game I watch my girlfriend, she's like, remember last year when we just like couldn't stand? I'm like, yes, because he was like awful for them. And this year he's just turned everything. I mean, he's been like, you can make a case to this point, like one of the easily probably 10 best players in the postseason. I mean, so far, I mean, it's been incredible how consistent he's been. Yeah, I think we're getting to hyperbole here if we're putting Reggie Jackson in a top 10. Of I'm the just post-season. getting excited. <laughs> Maybe a 10. So maybe this is the place to stop. Uh, (laughs) I do think that it's wonderful that we have a team that has subverted our expectations like this for the better. And whatever happens tomorrow, Sunday, I just think that this is a team to celebrate. It's a team to enjoy because what they've done over this, you know, playoff run, like obviously there have been frustrating moments, but the ability to constantly come back, even though they put themselves in adverse situations is, is really impressive. And I was just so impressed watching that team last night mm-hmm. and I, I didn't expect it. Like I said, like this is a team that constantly challenges our worst expectations and loves to be the underdog. And maybe that's how we should keep thinking of them instead of the favorites for the rest of the series so that they can close this thing out. Right. So, yeah, and I'm just going to try to enjoy the ride as best I can. Hopefully uh, Sunday I'm watching game one of the Western conference finals, but uh if not, like I said, there's they got two games to go, so all I got to do is win one of two. Utah's got to win two of two, but uh, preferably just end it tomorrow in front of your home crowd of 19,000 and uh, give them all something to cheer for. As Marcus Morris said, nobody wants to go to Utah, so let's make sure that yeah. doesn't happen yeah, again. I'm, I'm, I'll, I will pass on, to, uh, on visiting Utah as well, Marcus. Don't worry. <laughs> all right, this has been the Eclipse Nation podcast. That was Blake Harris. I'm Sabrina Merchant. Make sure you are checking out our coverage of the series at ClipsNation.com. And we will catch you later.